Some years ago, the prolific author, Roy L. Smith, made this provocative assertion. The major challenge in every Christian life, he said, is the achievement of power. Think about that with me for just a moment. The major challenge in every Christian life is the achievement of power. And then he goes on to describe what he means by this. The modern uh, pressures of modern life are so insistent that nothing less than divine aid enables us to measure up to the demands that will be inevitably made upon us. And we all understand something of the pressure of those demands. And then he says this, the failure of the modern church to give proper instruction in the matter of the Holy Spirit has resulted in a generation of powerless Christians, individuals unable to hold out against the intense pressures of temptation, opposition, ridicule, and loneliness. Now, I don't know how much you resonate with that particular statement or not. But if I said there was a way for your life to be filled with an even greater power, an even greater capacity to handle the temptations and the demands and the pressures of life, how many of you would be interested in knowing how that could happen, how you could gain access to that? I think, indeed, many of us would be sincerely interested Well, the good news that I'm trying to convey to all of us during this series of messages is that that power is available to us. That power has always been something God longs to offer to us. We can experience a greater inner resource and a greater outer influence than many of us are living by right now. The Church of Jesus Christ, in every one of its circles, are meant to be, in a sense, substations of the of the very glory of the power of heaven, as I described last week when I likened the early church to the Jerusalem Power and Light Company. But in order for this power to move in us in a deeper way, then then we have to learn more about the person and the work of this uh, aspect of God's being that the Bible calls some 93 times God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. As I shared in my message last week, a lot of us are a little resistant to this particular part of our theology. Um, We are concerned, perhaps, that opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit opens us to bizarre things. And I I wanted to underline to you last week that, that really opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit does not mean exposing ourselves to the kind of danger or weirdness that some of us associate with extreme forms uh, of what's sometimes known as Pentecostal Christianity. On the contrary, properly understood, the work of the Holy Spirit is one of the most beautiful parts of a normal, everyday experience of the fullness of the life of a life with God. And so, so as we go through the series, nobody is going to try and push you into a place you're not prepared to go. I'm not going to ask you to suddenly start raising your hands and waving them around or speaking in a different uh, language or handling snakes or something, okay? You can just let that anxiety go. But it's also important that we, that we let go of a, a tendency to look at uh, the person of the, 
of the third person of the Trinity as sort of a third-rate experience of God. And I really do think this is the reality for a lot of us. I think many times, if we're really honest with ourselves, we, we think, you know, if I could have been in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when God the Father walked with them uh, through the pathways of life, if, if, I could have, if I could be in heaven like Elijah or, or some of the other great heroes of the faith, and be in the presence of God the Father, that would be the first-class experience. That would be the ultimate experience of God. Or we think, you know, if I could have been like one of those disciples and, and been able to walk with Jesus of Nazareth through this world, that would be like flying business class, at least. I mean, that would be a great experience. But here I am stuck way back in economy. You know, way back, way back, just hoping that maybe God the Holy Spirit will stop by and throw me a few peanuts now and then. Now, maybe that isn't totally your attitude about it, but that's how a lot of people feel when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think you could even read the words of Jesus in the passage that we uh, touched on from John chapter 14 and construe that Christ was saying, it's going to be that way. Uh, It's going to be a little lesser experience than other people in history have had. Jesus says to his disciples, he's about to leave them, and he's going back to his Father in heaven, and he tells them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And you just watch the the, the expressions on the disciples' faces, right? And they just kind of sag. Another counselor. Now, we we get this, because this has happened to some of us, right? Our parents, suddenly, we noticed, had gotten all dressed up. And, 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 it's, and it's getting close to dinner time, and, and we're thinking to ourselves, uh, what's going on? And they come up and they say, well, we're going out for dinner. And, and you go, oh, we're going out? For, no, 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 we're going out for dinner. You're staying, don't worry, we're sending another caregiver to you. It's old Mrs. Kratikowski from down the street. She's coming in, and she's going to cook dinner for you, and you're going to be just fine. And she's offered to help you with your homework. And we're thinking, I don't want another caregiver. I want you, mom and dad. Or, 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 or this happened to me, truly, in the first grade. I was in love with my first grade teacher. I had a serious boy crush on Miss Geldart. And then the announcement was made. Miss Geldart had gotten engaged and was going to be going off and getting married and moving away to another part. And she said before she left, don't worry, I'm going to send you another teacher. I did not want a sub, Right? You've had that experience. You've heard you're going to get a sub. It's, it's, you, you'll really love Mr. Butt Killer. You know, he's, he's, he's going to be really, uh, or even worse, butt kicker. He, you know, you're, going to, you're not going to, and you think, oh, I don't want a substitute. Well, it, it sounds almost like this is what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. It's time for me to be history, Jesus is, about, is saying. I'm going to leave the, the space-time continuum. But don't worry. Don't worry, I'm going to send you somebody to take my place. Now, I grant you, he's a little wispy. You know, he's kind of a thin, he's sort of hard to see. And, 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 and he's, but, but he's very nice, and he tries very hard. And his name is the Holy Spirit. You can understand the disappointment, right? That the disciples are feeling. But this is not what Jesus was actually saying. At all. Jesus 
was actually trying to say, and this is the big idea, the first big idea I hope you'll take with you today, that the coming of the Holy Spirit means that you and I and every disciple has as much access to the fullness of God's presence as Adam and Eve or Peter and Mary or anybody else in the Bible actually did. You see, this word that Jesus uses for another does not mean uh, 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 another something, uh, something of another a kind. It actually means someone of the same kind. When he says that he, I'm going to send you another counselor, he means someone of the same kind. And the word counselor is often in American and common parlance um, identified with somebody who expresses non-anxious presence. A counselor is someone who heals by the very presence of, of her or his personality. Before they even say a word to you, Right? It's just healing to be in the presence of a great counselor. And Jesus is saying here, I'm going to send you another one like me. Uh, another counselor like me. Now, now this is complicated stuff. So I want to try and shift the analogy a little bit and see if I can't help put together a bit of what Christians call the theology of the Trinity. And I want to invite you to think of the molecular substance we call dihydrogen oxide. How many of you have ever heard of dihydrogen? Have you ever had any contact with it, dihydrogen oxide? Yeah. So in its liquid form, dihydrogen oxide is called what? Water. Yes. You've all had contact with dihydrogen oxide. Uh, in its solid form, it's called what? Ice. And in its uh, gaseous form, it's called vapor. Or mist, right? Vapor, right? But in every single one of its forms, it's the same substance. Okay? It is the same life-giving substance. Now, the early church came to believe that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit Jesus had spoken of, was of the same substance. Homoousios was the Greek word they used in the, in the creeds of, of the early church. He was of the same substance as Jesus and the Father. Um, all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had the power to bring life. And so they were not disappointed when they encountered one dimension or another of God because all of them offered the same stuff. And there's no other way of explaining the attitude of the early disciples at Pentecost, if you think about it. Because if there's ever a group of people in whom we would have seen disappointment, if disappointment was warranted, if what they were getting was much less than the substance that they had had with Jesus, it would be these people, right? It would have been the end of the Christian movement, Pentecost. It would have been a grand anticlimax, and they would have turned away and gone back to their old life. But on the contrary, they experienced such a joyful encounter with the power and potency of the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit that they go out into the world in this almost intoxicated way that other people read as being drunk. The early believers were thought drunk on the day of Pentecost. So filled with joy were they at the encounter they had, the staggering delight they felt in the reality that their master had not left them a third-rate substitute, but God had returned in power to them in an awesome way. There was another reason for their joy. It was not just that they had the presence of God. 
in the Holy Spirit. And this is the second insight into the nature and work of the Spirit I want to advance in this particular lesson. The coming of the Holy Spirit also means that the Christian disciple is never without the real presence of God. Now, the disciples had been without the real presence of God. Um, There there was a whole season of time before Jesus found them. They were without a, a sense of the real presence of God. And then Jesus was crucified dead and buried. And for a period of days, the disciples were without the real presence of God. They were caught up in grief and, and, and concern and anxiety and, and uncertainty all over again. And, and, and they would have doubted that, that maybe they would ever experience again the real presence of God. Jesus had promised that on the night in which he was betrayed, he said to them, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. And, and they were confused because now he was gone until the day of Easter came. The day of Easter came and they encountered Jesus returning in power, appearing behind locked doors. And then the day of Pentecost came and, and the spirit of the living God thundered down upon them like this wave of grace that swept over all of them and caught them up in its tide. And they realized God was back. God was with them. And now in a form that no pilot or Pharisee could, could ever nail down or entomb away from them again. Oh, Rome now could take their jobs, right? I mean, Rome could, and they did, Rome did take away the jobs of many of these people. It could rob them of their houses. Divorce could take their spouse. A disease could take their health. Death might take their very life or the life of somebody that they loved. But as the Apostle Paul would go on to pen in Romans 8.39, they knew that nothing in all of creation could ever separate them again from the love of God. They had that love with them, that presence with them forever and ever. And Pentecost made it clear that the Holy Spirit of God would never leave them and never forsake them. And the question I have is, do you know that? Do you know that for yourself? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you really understand? Have you taken in the wonder of the reality that there is no trauma you're going to go through in this life? There is no tragedy that you're going to face. There is no triumph that you might rise to that is going to be able to separate you from the loving presence of the God who is with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are not a believer, if you are somebody who finds yourself today on the outskirts of all of this, and you've got your skepticism about all this, um, do you understand that there is no distance you can go in this life where this Holy Spirit God will not be trying to find you and draw you to himself and give you that deep assurance of his everlasting power and love for you. I love the way King David put it in Psalm 139 long ago. Where can I go from your spirit, Lord, he asks. Where can I flee from your presence? For if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
For I come to the end. I come to the end of myself. I come to the end of my journey. And even there, even there, I am still with you. I hope this is good news to you. I hope you will take that news more deeply into yourself this very day. The coming of the Holy Spirit means that we who are living after Jesus' time on earth can have a fellowship with Christ every bit as real as those who walked physically with him. Secondly, the coming of the Holy Spirit means that you are never again without the awesome presence of God, without the counselor with you. But there's a third and final insight that I want to offer to you today, and then I'll let you go. The coming of the Holy Spirit also means that you can now develop a character like Christ's himself. God comes to us through the Holy Spirit to do in us what we can't do for ourselves. Now, I don't know if you've ever found that to be true of your life. There are some things you just can't do for yourself. Um, take the, the quality of peacefulness, for example. How many of us have ever yearned to be people of greater inner peace? How, how many of you ever kind of wished that you had a greater peace? I, I know that I have. I know there have been seasons in my life where I thought to myself, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just do it. I'm going to become a person of greater peace. And I get up that morning and I think to myself, this is the day. Nothing's getting me down. I'm going to handle whatever comes my way with perfect tranquility. My coworkers, my family are going to see me as the man of ultimate equanimity. And I get all the way through breakfast sometimes. I'm on my way to work. I have my first calendar appointment of the day. And then the big tr- the freight train comes rolling by and I'm there stuck at the crossing. And I feel it starting to rise up in me, right? And then I get into a situation with somebody and they don't seem to be understanding what I'm saying or they don't seem to be doing what I want them to do. And I feel that lack of peace, that anxiety getting higher in me. And somebody says something to me that's inconsiderate or hurtful and it gets worse and it just goes on like this. It just goes on like this. And I get up the next day and I think, okay, I'm going to try today to do it. And I get the same result. I just can't manufacture this peace in myself. How many of you have felt that? You, you know what I'm talking about. So what do we do? We, we tend then to look on the outside for solutions, right? We think that, 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 if, that if only the circumstances out there can change, then we'll have what we need here on the inside. So we think to ourselves, ah, it's, it's going to be when my kids are finally out of college and I'm not paying for two private college tuitions like I am doing right now, that's when I'm going to experience peace. Or, or, or it's going to when the mortgage is paid off, or when I finally retire, or when, 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 when they find a cure for this particular illness, or, or this other solution, or this technology, or whatever it may be. I'm looking for the outside world to change sufficiently, or to control it enough myself that I'll have what I need on the inside. And Jesus looks to me and says, oh, Dan, Dan, no, no, no. As he says to the disciples in John chapter 14, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives it. 
will you find this peace? I think back to a moment in my life when I finally began to get this. And you, I, you probably noticed this. I'm a little slow in a lot of areas. And this is one of them. I have been slow to understand how this all works in terms of the inner transformation part. Um, I thought it was a matter of me doing or me arranging. But, but I have come to understand it's a matter of allowing him to do what I can't do for myself. And I think back to a moment earlier in my journey here at Christ Church. I think it was a, a 2004. And our kids were much younger. We have three young boys at the time. And, and they're very active. And, oh, Amy is a saint. She is running helter-skelter every which way, just trying to keep track of, the, of these three very active boys and, and uh, going to activities and tending to the homework and attending to the work at home and all of that stuff. And I'm over here at Christ Church, and this is a very busy place, and I'm running as fast as I can to try and deal with all the stuff here, and I'm trying to do a doctorate on the side. Okay? So I, am re- I remember this particular May, that May of 2004, I read 4,500 pages of academic uh, material at nighttime or on the weekends when I wasn't here. 4,500 pages. I wrote 16 book reports, right? And then I was scrambling like crazy to get everything done because I was going to go off on a sabbatical. And, and, and then I went off to California. I had to go to a two-week intensive class where I would be in class from like... 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock every night. And then at nighttime, instead of sleeping, I needed to write a 40-page paper for the last class that I had taken. Right? And, and what, was, what was worse, they had no internet at this place I was going. We were going to a monastery to take this class. I'm thinking, what's that? That's crazy. We're going to be out in the middle of nowhere. And I got so much stuff to do. I had no peace of any kind. And I couldn't manufacture it. And I couldn't find it for myself. And I got to the monastery. And he walked into the building. Our our teacher walked into the building. Our counselor came into the building. And, And I noticed immediately something in the environment changed. Um... The teacher's name was Dallas Willard. And uh, he probably is, in my personal experience, the closest I've ever come to meeting the character of Jesus in a, in a human being. Other than my wife, of course. But, but <laughs> he was just an incandescent person. Um, and, and when we hear about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the character traits of God... That's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those ones. This is what you met. You met in Dallas Willard. And some of you have met him. He's been here to Christ Church. He's now passed away. But as soon as he walked into the building, just his presence began to alter things for, for me and for the other people, the other 15 people that were there to study with him. And, and he ate breakfast with us. He ate lunch with us. He ate dinner with us. He was there in the morning. He was there in the afternoon. He was there in the evening. He moved in to the monastery and he filled the building with his presence and he did not leave us or forsake us. He just was with us in the most amazing way. And I remember thinking to myself, why is my, why is my internal anxiety dropping 
why, why do I feel more loving? Why do, why do I feel more inclined to be kind to the people near, nearby? And the answer, only answer I could come up with was his presence. There's something about being close to that presence, that non-anxious presence that's growing something different up in me. Are you getting this? Because this is a crucial analogy. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is just what God wants to do. God wants to move into our building. Okay, He doesn't want to be somebody that we go to see in a building and then leave. He wants, us, he wants to be in the house with us. Okay, Some of us have let him into the foyer, um, and we're good with having him there as long as, he as long as he doesn't venture any further. Some of us have let him into the living room. Some of us are thinking, don't go into the kitchen. It's a mess in there. For goodness sake, stay out of the bedroom. Don't go to that place where I do my finances. And I don't even want you to know that there's this closet at the back of the house I've got padlocked. Right? And he, and he stands there and he says, I want, I want it all. I want to come into every single one of those rooms, not to condemn you, not to condemn you, but to fill these rooms with my presence and to bring forth in these places a goodness of life that you could never bring forth for yourself. This is God's purpose. This is the work of the Holy Spirit at its most primary level. This is the possibility that exists for you and for me. The Bible says, if you want to see someone in whom the Holy Spirit is at work, Look for the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, just some of the attributes. Or maybe look for the mercy, the justice, the humility. Look for the courage. These are the attributes of God himself and where he is indwelling, that building the house of someone's life. These are the things that simply naturally and over time will grow up. So, If you want more of that sort of fruit, raise your hand if you'd want one of those qualities. Love, joy, peace, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, raise your other hand if you think your wife, your sister, your brother needs more of those. That's okay. (laughs) Your husband. Uh, Don't think your willpower is going to get it. Drop the idea that your external circumstance is getting rearranged. (laughs) It's going to create it, okay? There's one thing. There's one thing you need to do, and that is be with him. Open up to him. Lean into the presence of the one whom Jesus asked his father to send to you. Let this be your prayer in days and hours ahead, wherever you go, whenever you feel that old stuff rising up in you. Simply pray Fill me up, Holy Spirit. Awaken me to your presence with me. Come in, third person of the Trinity, and do in me what you can. And if you don't, you just need a simple way of of praying, let this be your prayer. Come in third. Come in third. Come in third. But this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.